streaming right now.
Good morning and God's blessings to you as we celebrate the fourth Sunday in Lent. This Sunday is a special Sunday in the season of Lent. The fourth Sunday is marked by the introit that we say today, the introit which begins with the word rejoice. Rejoice even in the midst of the penitential season of Lent. Rejoice even in the midst of the sorrow that besets our world and the death that is coming to all of us. Rejoice because God has sent his rescue, his salvation in his son Jesus Christ. And that is uh, with great expectation what we are preparing for during this Lenten season. I hope that uh, you are all able to listen in and that uh, you'll be able to see the liturgy uh, that we're conducting this morning um, on your screen as you're listening to the service. Um, if you know of anybody who would benefit from listening to this service or would benefit from uh, hearing a message uh, about God's continued grace through his church and through his word, um, please direct them to Concordia's website, concordialcms.com, and uh, folks can sign up for an email there to stay in touch and to keep, um, keep current on how things are going for us here and how much God is uh, doing for us, serving us with his word. This morning we'll follow, follow the order of service of divine service setting three without Holy Communion. So that means when we get to the point of the prayers, after the prayers we'll uh, sing the Nunc Dimittis and then we'll continue uh, just with the benediction and a closing hymn. Um, if, you, uh, if you can follow along on the screen, fantastic. If you are following along in a hymnal, this will put us on page 184, divine service setting three on page 184. And we'll begin by singing hymn 918, Guide, thee, guide Me, O Thou Great Redeemer. Still my strength and shield. 
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Beloved in the Lord, let us draw near with a true heart and confess our sins unto God our Father, beseeching him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to grant us forgiveness. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Almighty God, our Maker and Redeemer, we poor sinners confess unto you that we are by nature sinful and unclean, and that we have sinned against you by thought, word, and deed. Wherefore, we flee for refuge to your infinite mercy, seeking and imploring your grace for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. O most merciful God, who has given your only begotten Son to die for us, have mercy upon us, and for his sake grant us remission of all our sins. And by your Holy Spirit increase in us true knowledge of you and of your will, and true obedience to your word, to the end that by your grace we may come to everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, has had mercy upon us, and has given his only Son to die for us, and for his sake forgives all our sins. To those who believe on his name, he gives power to become the children of God, and has promised them his Holy Spirit. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Grant this, Lord, unto us all. Amen. We continue with the introit. Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her, all you who love her, that you may nurse and be satisfied from her consoling breast. I was glad when they said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. For my brothers and companions' sake I will say, Peace be within you. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her, all you who love her, that you may nurse and be satisfied from her consoling breast. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy as it was in the beginning, is now, 
and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. The Lord be with you and with thy spirit. Let us pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, your mercies are new every morning. And though we deserve only punishment, you receive us as your children and provide for all our needs of body and soul. Grant that we may heartily acknowledge your merciful goodness, give thanks for all your benefits, and serve you in willing obedience. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The Old Testament reading for the fourth Sunday in Lent is from Exodus chapter 16. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine, flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. 
But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We continue with the gradual. I was glad when they said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. The epistle is from Acts chapter 2. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the sixth chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about five thousand in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. We confess our faith according to the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, 
and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. We continue by singing hymn number 642, O Living Bread from Heaven. Yeah. Uh-huh. 
Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? It's probably not a question that any of the disciples expected Jesus to ask. Why should it be their responsibility to feed this crowd of people? Why should that even be on the table? It's an outrageous thing to consider. 5,000 people. Can you imagine trying to feed 5,000 people? Who would even think to ask the question? Philip did the math and said that 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough. Two-thirds of a year's pay wouldn't be enough to feed all those people. And even if you had enough money, where could you find enough bread? Do you think there's enough bread in Walmart? Certainly not right now. To feed 5,000 people? That's the scale we're talking about. You can't just go into the local town and expect to find enough bread in one place for 5,000 people. It doesn't matter how rich you are or how much money you have. And this makes Andrew's suggestion sound like a joke. There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? That's enough for the disciples, maybe, but is nothing to the whole crowd. It was a ridiculous suggestion, and it's hard for me to think that Andrew was being serious. It was a ridiculous question that Jesus had asked in the first place. It's like if I said, okay, folks, how are we going to turn this church into a rocket ship? And one of you raised your hand and said, well, there's a propane tank outside, but that won't get us very far. Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Well, here are five loaves and two fish, but that probably won't cut it. Is this even a real conversation? I imagine the disciples thought Jesus was just goofing around. He wasn't joking, though. There was more going on than meets the eye. He was testing them. Jesus knew what he was going to do. In fact, it's obvious. And that is the lesson for today. Jesus knows what he's going to do. And he wants us to see that it's obvious, too. And so he tested the disciples. He wanted to know if they'd understood. There were lots of clues. And he wanted to know if they'd picked up on them. To see what's going on in this story, we have to look back into the Old Testament. Our Old Testament lesson is part of the background, but we have to start back a bit further. We have to go back to the Passover. You heard it in the Gospel lesson. Jesus sat on the mountain and performed this miracle when the Passover was at hand. The Passover was the festival that the people of Israel were to celebrate every year in memory of their exodus from Egypt. They were slaves in bondage under Pharaoh. He cared so little, Pharaoh cared so little about Israel, and he was afraid that they might rise up against him that he ordered all the baby boys to be drowned in the river. That's how Moses came to grow up in Pharaoh's house. His mother didn't drown him, but put him in a basket, and he was found by the daughter of Pharaoh. After a time, Moses learned that he was a Hebrew, and one day, when he saw an Egyptian beating one of his people, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When the thing was found out, Moses had to flee. While he was in exile, God appeared to him in the burning bush and told him to go back to Egypt to set his people free. You know how the story goes. Ten plagues, with Pharaoh hardening his heart and refusing to let the people go. When it came time for the last plague, God instituted the Passover. The tenth plague would be the death 
of all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. An angel would go through the land and strike down all the firstborn of man and beast, unless that angel came to a house with the blood of a lamb painted on the frame of the door. When the angel saw that blood, he, was, he would pass over that house, sparing the firstborn in it. The people of Israel were to get ready. They were to have their belts fastened, sandals on their feet, and their staffs in hand. They were to eat a quick meal, and all of it, so that when the angel passed over their houses and Pharaoh drove them out of the land, they'd be ready to go. The celebration of the Passover throughout the generations of Israel was to be a reminder of God's great rescue from the house of slavery, from the house of death. It was to be a reminder that God was mightier than Pharaoh and the gods of Egypt. It was to be a reminder of his steadfast love and faithfulness, his promise to provide and care for his people. That's the setting for the miracle in today's gospel lesson. The Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. If ever there was a time to remember that God always provides for his people, this was it. But there was more, it turns out. There were more clues for the disciples to pick up on. Notice how things went in the gospel. First, Jesus crossed the sea and the crowd followed him. Like Moses leading the people of Israel through the Red Sea. And the crowd followed Jesus because of the signs that he had done. Powerful signs like the signs that Moses did in Egypt. And having crossed the sea, Jesus then went up on the mountain. Like Moses, going up on Mount Sinai to teach the people God's law. The Passover was at hand, and if the disciples were paying attention, they could have seen that Jesus was doing just what Moses did. In fact, Jesus was a new and better Moses. And that's why it's obvious what should come next. We heard it in our Old Testament lesson today. When the people were hungry, when the hordes and hordes of Israelites, 600,000 of them, when they got hungry, God fed them. He rained down bread from heaven and gave them meat to eat. And did you hear it in our Old Testament lesson? This is what God said. I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. Why? that I may test them, just like Jesus tested Philip, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. This testing was key. Would the people receive the bread from heaven as proof of God's grace and mercy, proof of his love for them, or would they walk their own way, thinking that they were masters of their own fate? Would they listen and collect only what they needed for the day? Would they trust that there would be more bread tomorrow because God had promised, or would they doubt? And would they save some over from one day to the next because they didn't trust God, because they didn't believe that there would be more manna again tomorrow? That is the same kind of testing going on in our gospel lesson, and it is timely for us today. Most of the time, when life is stable, It is easy for us to think that we have managed to make a way for ourselves. It is easy to think that we have gotten ourselves all the things we need. The food on your table, the roof over your head, the shoes on your feet. You put them there. You have what you need because you have gotten it. It feels very certain and secure. It's so short-sighted, of course, because all it takes is a run on the supermarket, 
a run on the banks, a drought, bad weather, plague, war, some pestilence, or any garden variety misfortune to make all the things we need suddenly quite scarce. It doesn't make, take much, does it, to make all our certainties suddenly uncertain. The question in those times is simple. Has God stopped caring for us? Has he removed his gracious provision because he hates us? You know, of course, you know the answer in theory. Hypothetically, it's easy to say God always provides. But imagine you're a disciple looking at 5,000 hungry people, or you're one of the 600,000 Israelites wandering in the wilderness, or you're out of a job, or the supermarket shelves are empty, or any number of other things. Then the question is real. What do you believe about God? The question of whether or not he can provide is child's play. That's easy. But even the disciples seem to miss it. Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? What's the correct answer? You can give them bread. You're the son of God. But there's a bigger and more difficult question that the disciples don't even engage. Of course God can provide. Of course he can. But will he? Does he want to? Does he care? In the gospel today, Jesus is a new and better Moses. And that should tell us all that we need to know about him. Of course he cares. He cares enough to free his people from slavery, from the bondage of sin, from everlasting death. He cares enough to give his people what they need most, forgiveness, life, and salvation. How will he not also give them everything that they need for their bodies? Scarcity is no matter for Jesus. What are five loaves and two fishes for so many? They gathered up afterwards. After everyone had eaten his fill, they gathered up 12 baskets of pieces left over. They ended with more than they started with, and everyone was satisfied. But this, is, this was not about mere bread made from barley. On the next day, the crowd found Jesus again, and he said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. When Jesus fed the 5,000 miraculously, he showed himself to be a new and better Moses, and that meant that his business was not just about filling bellies. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died, Jesus said. Bread is good for a time, but I have something better. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Through Moses, God fed 600,000 Israelites in the wilderness. It was bread from heaven meant for a day. They would gather and eat and live from one morning to the next. And the test was whether they believed that God would continue to give them bread day after day. It was a trivial matter for God. Raining down bread from heaven was as easy as causing the dew to form. There was bread in abundance. But Jesus is a new and better Moses. While he feeds the 5,000 in the wilderness, he is teaching them that there is bread available in abundance that does not merely feed you for a day. 
It doesn't melt in the heat of the sun. It does not simply give your body the strength to endure another 24 hours, but it nourishes and quickens your whole life, body and soul, for eternity. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever, Jesus says. We work hard, tirelessly, for bread that satisfies the body for a bit. How much harder should we strive after that bread, which will make us live forever? Jesus is himself the bread of life. You eat his flesh spiritually when you hold to him in faith. When you hear God's word in which Jesus himself is present, the same Jesus who fed the 5,000, when you hear God's word, which gives you the promises of forgiveness, life, and salvation by the death and resurrection of Jesus, when you hear and believe that word, you are eating the bread of life. You are being fed by a new and better Moses. You are being nourished in a wilderness far bleaker and more desolate than the desert that the people of Israel wandered in. Christ himself is feeding you, you who wander in a desert of sin and death. We work hard, tirelessly, for the bread that satisfies the body for a bit. How much harder should we strive after that bread, which is the flesh of Jesus, which he gives for the life of the world? That is what makes this such a trying time. It's not the uncertainty of the world. That is to be expected. If we ever thought the world was certain, we were very confused. That's not what makes this a trying time. It is the struggle against our own flesh. That's what makes this a trying time. It is the struggle against our own flesh which hungers for food that perishes instead of hungering for the food that lasts to eternal life. When you see that in yourself, repent. When you find yourself more concerned with the cares of this life than with the righteousness of God, repent. When you find yourself doubting that God can and will provide, repent. And in your repentance, see your great need for the bread that satisfies the weak soul, the bread that fills the spirit struggling against the flesh. Listen to God's word and be satisfied. Eat and drink the flesh and blood of Jesus in the sacrament, which is the holy food, the bread from heaven, given to make you whole. Even while our regular services are canceled, while the normal life of the church is disrupted, that food is freely available to you. There is no shortage, no scarcity, no risk from a run on the grocery, no amount of panic can limit our supply. See these trying times as a sign of your need. Hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God. And reach out to me so that I can bring you God's gifts, his food, his bread, his flesh and blood for the forgiveness of your sins and for eternal life. Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? It's similar to a question that I and pastors all over the country have been asking themselves over the last several days. Without the divine service, without the fellowship of believers in the church, without communion here in the sanctuary, where are we to find nourishment, the nourishment we need, so that all of us may eat the bread of life? The truth is, it's the same conversation Jesus had with his disciples. Jesus knows what he's going to do. And just when we believe that we have too little, that we have not enough for our great need, Jesus tells us gently, to seat ourselves on the green grass, to listen to his voice, and to watch as he produces an abundance beyond comprehension. 
It's obvious what happens next. It's obvious what happens next for you, for me, for the world we live in. It's obvious. God always feeds his people. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We'll continue by singing the offertory. time that we would normally gather the offering in church, I would just urge you to remember the gifts that God has given you and the purpose for which they're given, to love your neighbors, especially at this time it's important to look out for the needs of, the other, of others and to remember that uh, the work of the church still goes on. And so as much as you can, continue with your regular giving to the church so that we can carry on with the ministry of word and sacrament. We continue then with the prayer of the church. We'll pray the litany as printed on the screen. O Lord, have mercy. O Christ, have mercy. O Lord, have mercy. O Christ, hear us. God the Father in heaven, have mercy. God the Son, Redeemer of the world, have mercy. God the Holy Spirit, have mercy. Be gracious to us. Spare us, good Lord. Be gracious to us. Help us, good Lord, from all sin, from all error, from all evil, from the crafts and assaults of the devil, from sudden and evil death, from pestilence and famine, from war and bloodshed, from sedition and from rebellion, from lightning and tempest, from all calamity by fire and water, and from everlasting death, good Lord, deliver us. By the mystery of your holy incarnation, by your holy nativity, by your baptism, fasting, and temptation, by your agony and bloody sweat, by your cross and passion, by your precious death and burial, by your glorious resurrection and ascension, and by the coming of the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, help us, good Lord. In all time of our tribulation, in all time of our prosperity, in the hour of death and in the day of judgment, help us, good Lord. We poor sinners implore you, to hear us, O Lord, to rule and govern your holy Christian church, to preserve all pastors and ministers of your church in the true knowledge and understanding of your wholesome word, and to sustain them in holy living, to put an end to all schisms and causes of offense, to bring into the way of truth all who have erred and are deceived, to beat down Satan under our feet, to send faithful laborers into your harvest, 
and to accompany your word with your grace and spirit. We implore you to hear us, good Lord, to raise those who fall and to strengthen those who stand, and to comfort and help the weak-hearted and the distressed. We implore you to hear us, good Lord, to give all peoples concord and peace, to preserve our land from discord and strife, to give our country your protection in every time of need, to direct and defend our president and all in authority, to bless and protect our magistrates and all our people, to watch over and help all who are in danger, necessity, and tribulation, to protect and guide all who travel, to grant all women with child and all mothers with infant children increasing happiness in their blessings, to defend all orphans and widows and provide for them, to strengthen and keep all sick persons and young children, to free those in bondage, and to have mercy on us all. We implore you to hear us, good Lord, to forgive our enemies, persecutors, and slanderers, and to turn their hearts, to give and preserve for our use the kindly fruits of the earth, and graciously to hear our prayers. We implore you to hear us, good Lord. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, we implore you to hear us. Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, have mercy. Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, have mercy. Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, grant us your peace. O Christ, hear us. O Lord, have mercy. O Christ, have mercy. O Lord, have mercy. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Let 
bless we the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. 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 We continue by singing, By Grace I'm Saved, Grace Free and Boundless, hymn number 566. Where could I help and scream? 
God's peace and blessings be to you. I'm so grateful for the opportunity to share God's word with you, especially the word of God's gracious provision, that he loves his children, he loves you, and will care for you in whatever way is needful. And that includes your spiritual needs as well as your earthly bodily needs. Just a couple of things to draw your attention to. One is that I sent out uh, by email a copy of this week's bulletin insert. Um, I wanted to get that into your hands because it's useful for your family devotions, your home devotions. Um, in the email, I, I also sent out a copy of Concordia Publishing House's daily prayer, uh, which gives you a nice order for family devotions. Um, and then if you put into that, if you use the, the readings for this week um, and the prayer for this week, um, it's a great opportunity to uh, spend time eating the bread of life, uh, the bread of God's word in your homes together. One thing to draw your attention to is something I was planning on doing a little bit differently this week. Um, when I do the Sunday school opening with the kids, I'd been uh, taking a verse from the upcoming Sunday's lessons and talking about that a bit, and I decided I wanted to do something different starting this week, um, which would be to just go through Bible stories from beginning to end. And so what you'll see in that bulletin insert is just um, a little bit of an introduction that I was going to do this week, and I'll, do, I'll just mention what that's like. Um, here's what it says. The Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. It has rules and heroes in it, but most of all, it's a love story. The story of a father who rescues his children, the story of a husband who saves his bride. It's the story of Jesus who died and rose for you. Uh, and I wanted to take an, uh, some chance to talk to the, the kids about how to see what the, the story of the Bible is about, how from beginning to end it's the story of Jesus, about God's rescue um, from the Garden of Eden all the way through to the cross and into the resurrection. Um, so as, as you have the opportunity, uh, think about that, talk about that, ask questions about that. How is how is it true that the Bible, uh, from beginning to end, is the story of Jesus, a love story, the story of a father loving his children, the story of a husband loving his bride? Uh, meditate on that this week, and then next week um, I will uh, give suggestions for, for doing, uh, going through the Bible story by story, sort of in a, a, a children's storybook fashion. Um, I'd like to emphasize again that if anybody uh, needs particular pastoral care or just ordinary the ordinary pastoral care of hearing God's word and saying a prayer and receiving the body and blood of Jesus in the sacrament in the Lord's Supper. Um, that is what I'm here for, and I'm available at any time uh, to, to bring that to you and to, to serve you with God's word and with his gifts. So please uh, don't hesitate to take advantage of that. And finally, the last thing I'll say is this. Um, it's easy to talk when there aren't and there isn't an audience of people uh, waiting expectantly for me to finish so we can go have treats. Um, but this is the last thing I'll say. Um, I'm just thrilled and so grateful for the faithfulness of this congregation. Um, faithfulness, first of all, to God's word. Um, I've been just overwhelmed by the, uh, the desire that I see to continue to receive God's word. It's no, it's no surprise, of course. It's no surprise. Um, you see it every Sunday when folks are here. But even now in these difficult times, I'm thrilled that so many are eager to keep up uh, with the discipline of hearing God's word. And also, I'm so grateful and thrilled at the faithfulness of the con congregation in supporting the work of the church. Paul talks this way in 1 Thessalonians. He, he talks to the Thessalonians about what wonderful things they are doing. And he praises them for the gifts that they've received from God and the reception of them. And then he urges them uh, to do more, to carry on, to grow, and uh, increase in the fruits of the Spirit. So I urge that uh, for you today. I encourage you all um, to stay steadfast in God's word and in prayer. And uh, 
keep, uh, keep your eye on your email. Uh, for more information, I'm going to try and send out an email daily uh, with updates and devotions and prayers for you. God bless and keep you. Take care.